Physical joy isn't an emotion. We often confuse joy with happiness, but joy is really a mindset. It's an attitude and posture of the heart. Joy can coexist with sadness and mourning. It can, co- it, it can coexist with uncertainty. In all things, we can have joy, and in every moment, we can rejoice. John 16, 22 says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. All right, I'm going to pray, and, let, let's let, and then we can dive in. Jesus, this morning, we just thank you that because of you, like we just read in John, that even though we have sadness, there are days we wake up and we have sadness due to the circumstances and situations in our lives. There are, uh, there are moments that we navigate uncertainty and doubt and fear and all of those things. But just like you said, like, look, right now you've got sadness, but there's a moment coming where you're going to have joy and you can rejoice. And no one can take that from you. And because of you, Jesus, we have joy that no one can rob. We have joy that no one can, can take from us. No one can steal that from us because you are always present. You are always our Savior. Uh, And today we just thank you for that. We focus in on that aspect of who you are, uh, that you are our joy bringer. You are the one that allows us to rejoice, to engage in having joy, even when life gets flipped upside down. And so this morning, as we unpack your word, as we unpack your truth, Jesus, we pray that we would focus in on that, uh, that your word would come alive in new ways, that we would find joy in you and through you, uh, Father, in ways that maybe we've never found that before. But today we get to see you in a new light. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Everybody said Amen. Hey, a couple housekeeping things before we dive in. Last week I shared that coming up on December 23rd is our Christmas Eve Eve service. Uh, this is one of our bigger services of the, of the year. We love this. It's one of my. It's probably my favorite. Um, there's just something about it. It's just super cool in this space. We open it up. There's lots of people that come in. It's a great opportunity to invite friends. Adventure, because we've always been like a little crazy in a cool way, right? We've always done Christmas Eve Eve. Some of that was because when Adventure first started, we were in a school and we couldn't get into the school like on Christmas week. We had to kind of navigate Christmas break. So we always did Christmas Eve Eve to kind of accommodate the school schedule. But it also works out for those of us because Christmas time is crazy. Anybody else surviving this week, right? It's like, I feel like you start out at the beginning of December, and you're like, I got this. It's not going to be like last year. It's going to be different. And then you get to like the middle of December, and you're just hanging on by your fingernails, right? So we understand that. There's lots of stuff that goes on, especially in the day, a couple days in the lead up to Christmas. So we do Christmas Eve Eve. It's a little non-traditional, but that kind of fits who we are. Um, so that is going to be our Christmas service this year. I said last week that we are not going to be having in-person services on Christmas Sunday here. And it's one of those like two times a decade conversations that we have to have. To have. Instead, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be put, putting together some Christmas packs for you to take home and do those things with your family. It's going to have a, a, some teaching stuff, some things to read together, uh, communion you can take together. And you can do that whether it's a small gathering, large gathering. It's going to be really cool. So that's what we're going to do on Christmas Sunday. But Christmas Eve Eve is your opportunity to invite some friends, neighbors, coworkers to join us to hear the truth about Jesus in this season. It's going to be fantastic. The next thing is, it's again, one of those like twice a decade conversations. Chris, or, or sorry, New Year's Day is also on a Sunday. And so what we're going to do this year is we're going to have Celebration Sunday. We haven't done this in a while. We used to do these things at Adventure. They were called What's Your Story Weekends, where people in the church would just get up and share a little bit about what God has been doing in their lives. And so what we want to do is we just want to celebrate the ways that God has been moving in our lives. And so there, let me just say this. There is no story too big or too small. It doesn't have to have like crazy plot twists. It doesn't have to be a tearjerker. It, doesn't, it can be just a normal story about how God showed up in your life this year, in this past year. We want to give people the opportunity to share those stories. And so if that's something you're interested in, uh, we're going to have a sign-up 
uh, on the back wall that you can click the little QR code. You can sign up for that. Um, also, uh, there's going to be a sign up on the website on, on all of our social media stuff. I want to help you, right? I just want to help you be able to share your story. We want to be able to hear from each other. You guys hear from me a lot. Uh, and that is, is, is really what we want to do is give you the opportunity to share your story, what's going on in your life, how God showed up in your life, because that's really cool. And he does that. So that's coming up on New Year's Day, which is on a Sunday. So if you're interested in that, um, there'll be a sign up on the back wall uh, after service today, or you can come grab me and we can talk about it as well. So let's dive into what we've been talking about. So we've been talking about these, these throne names of Jesus, which we'll get to that here in a minute, but this is kind of week three. So we're going to change it up a little bit today. So I realized this week and kind of getting ready um, for, for Sunday, getting ready for, for this morning, I kind of I realized in what, in what I was studying, I, I came across a little math equation. And you guys know this, I'm not much of a math guy, right? But, but here's what I realized, and that is this, that, that our perspective, which is what we see, what I see, like so from your perspective, which is what you can see, when you add that to your perception, which is what you believe. So what you see kind of gets added to or helps to determine what you believe, and that then informs your reality, which is the truth that you live in. So around Christmas time, things get crazy. And, and I don't know what, what has influenced your perspective of Christmas. Maybe it's just a stressful time of year. Maybe there's family stuff going on in your life, like those kinds of things. So your perspective of Christmas is a, is a little different. And maybe that causes your perception to change a little bit. So the reality that you live in in this season is while the world seems like happy and joyful, it is it's one of like, just get me through this. Right, let's just get through this, get to the other side of this when things return to normal. Or maybe for you, it's like, this is the greatest time of year, I love it, right? So, or maybe you're somewhere in between. But I realized this, that there are actually these old kind of games we used to play that, that kind of, to me, prove the truth of this equation. Like, I made this up, so I don't know if it's real or not. It's just like, in my brain, this makes sense, okay? But here's, here's an example of this. With like these pictures, how many of you, when you see this picture, you see an old woman? Just put your hands up. Okay, handful of us. How many of you see a young woman? All right, yeah, they're both present, right? So if you, if you look at it kind of as a profile, right, it's like the profile of an older lady. But it, if, you, if you see the younger woman, it's a younger woman that's kind of facing a different direction. And you can kind of see her from behind. But really, depending on your perspective, your perception, what you believe is there, informs your reality. Right, what you see determines what you believe determines the reality that you live in. Or maybe this one's kind of same kind of thing. How many of you see a rabbit? First thing you see is a rabbit. Just a few of us. How many of you see a duck? Yeah, a lot of us. A lot of us see a duck, right? So same kind of deal. Your perspective, what you see influences your perception, what you believe, what you believe to be present, and that informs the reality that you live in. All right, you look at this one. How many of us see a really nice family photo? Just raise your hand. How many of you see something really terrible going on? Anybody? They're actually sitting on somebody. Like once one of those, like once you un once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? So it's like, oh, it's just a nice family photo. No, actually, they're sitting on some other person, right? Or maybe this one. Like this one was from a couple years ago. Yeah, who who engaged in the controversy of what color is the dress? Do y'all remember that? Anybody? Okay. How many of you you saw it as gold and white? Right? How many of you saw it as gold and white? How many of you back in the day when this was how many of you saw it as black and blue? So this was like a massive debate in our house because all I saw when I looked at the dress was gold and white. And my wife is like, it's black and blue. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, how in the world are you getting black and blue from this picture that is clearly a gold and white dress? The truth is the actual color of the dress is black and blue, right? So regardless of which one you saw, that's the actual color. But 
So I read an article about this this week as we're kind of learning about perspective and perception and reality. They've done research since this was kind of a social media phenomenon. They've done research, and here's what they've discovered, and this is fascinating, that people's perception of color is also, it's also influenced or informed by their perception of the lighting, like the kind of light that, that they're in, natural light, artificial light, shadow, dark, sunlight, whatever. And what happens is this, our brains fill in the gaps in the knowledge of what we don't know by making assumptions. So when we look at this picture of a dress, our brain starts to fill in the gaps, right? They, they start to fill in, like, this is kind of where this dress is. It's a sunny day. This picture is taken outside. Your brain is filling in all of those gaps in information, right? Your perspective, what you see, is influenced by your perception, what you believe, and that determines your reality, whether you believe the dress is blue or black or gold or white. And the article I read said this, that when it comes to those kinds of things, color and lighting are no exception, Right? Our brain begins to make all these different assumptions. And so here's how this works. If your brain, when you saw that picture, assumed that the dress was in a shadow or the dress was in natural light, somebody was holding the dress up or wearing the dress outside, your brain saw that as white and gold. Right? That's what they said. Was it was, if it was in shadow or if it was in natural light, your brain saw it as white or gold. Your brain, you didn't know where that dress was, but your brain's filling in the gaps of all those assumptions, right? If, here's the deal. If you thought, if your brain assumed that it was in artificial light, that it was inside, you were more likely to see it as black and blue. And again, like you said, the actual real color of the dress is black and blue, but our brains, right, what we see, our perspective, influences our perception, and that helps to determine our reality, the truth that we live in. And over the last few weeks, what we've been doing is we've been getting reacquainted with this thing called Advent. It's this fifth century tradition that we've been talking about. And here's kind of the definition of Advent. Here's what this means. The word itself means this. Advent is this present, here and now, in this moment, trust and pursuit of something or someone that's rooted in a confidence, right, that comes from our past experiences and that, that, that trust and that, that anticipation and that pursuit and that belief and that confidence, all of that stuff believes in and anticipates and expects and looks forward to the result of a better future. So when you start thinking about Advent, right, it's the pursuit of something or someone that you've got some degree of confidence in, and your pursuit of that thing in the present is rooted in that confidence, and what you expect to find at the end of that pursuit is a better future for yourself. That's what Advent is. And so back in the 5th century, the people, the believers in Jesus back in that time, they came up with this wreath, right, as a symbol because they were party animals. Ain't no party like a 5th century party because they has got wreaths, right? So, like, they came up with a wreath. That was what they used back in the day. That was the symbol of this season. And what they did was they put four candles around the outside. And like we talked about, those candles represent hope, peace, joy, and love. And all of those things get centered around this, this candle in the middle that's all about Jesus, that represents Jesus, and so when we look at an Advent wreath, right, the symbol means this, that our past confidence, our present trust, and our future expectations, when it comes to things like hope, peace, joy, and love, all of those things are centered around Jesus. That's what this piece of decor means, right? So there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot going on in, in an Advent wreath. That's what it means. But one thing I said last week, and I think this is really important for us to, to get, so I'm going to say it again in case you missed, it was this, Advent is not a noun. Advent is a verb, right? Advent is not a thing, right? It's an action. It's a way of living, and we all do it. Every single one of us, we all Advent for something or someone, right? Again, 
our calendars, our church calendars, our actual calendars, they may say, you know, Advent season comes around one time a year in December in the lead up to Christmas, right? That's what the calendar says. The calendar says it happens once a year. It's a few weeks, four weeks in the lead up to Christmas. The church calendar would say Advent season happens once a year in the four weeks leading up to Christmas. But in our hearts and minds, it's Advent season every day. It's Advent season every day, all day, all the time. It's Advent season. Every one of us, every one of us in this room is trying to put something or someone in the middle of our lives. And our expectation for whatever lies in the middle of that is that they're going to provide us with real hope, real peace, real joy, and real love. And here's the truth, right? We said this last week. We bend and we shape our past confidence, our present trust, and our future expectations for hope, peace, joy, and love around whoever or whatever we advent. Like we look to them, our expectations, all of that stuff is bent around whoever or whatever lives in the middle of this space in our lives. And it may be a job, it may be a promotion. It may be better income. It may be more status, more influence. It may be a person, a relationship, a friendship, a, a family member, somebody like that. Like, it may be something like that. We put something in the middle of this, and we look to that person, and we say, listen, whatever you are or whoever you are, I need you. My expectation is that you're going to provide me with hope, with peace, with joy, and love. That's my expectation. I've got confidence in you. I've got trust in you. That you're going to provide this for me. The result of all of this is going to end up with me in a better place then than I am now. And like this wreath, our lives, like we've got this space, right, in the middle of who we are. And that's who we focus our advent on. Whoever or whatever we're adventing for, right, all of us, whatever is in that space, we look at their past track record. We look at the past track record of whatever this is, and here's what we do. We justify having confidence, like, I'm not just, we don't, we don't just give our confidence to anybody, right? We look at their past, we look at their past track record. I want to see where you've been, I want to see what you've done, I want to see, like, show me how you're going to do this for me, right? If I'm going to put confidence in you, I need to see, I need to have confidence, I need to see your past track record. So we justify that, they, they're good at what they do. We craft a really good story about them, and here's what it does. It allows us to trust whoever or whatever it is with our present situations and our present circumstances, I got justified confidence in my own mind, in my own heart. And that leads me to, to this present trust in the middle of my situations and circumstances. And because we've got confidence in the past and trust in the present, it's only natural then that, that we hand them our expectations. We hand them the expectation, you're going to provide me a better future when it comes to my hope, my joy, my peace, my love. And in other words, it's this. Whatever lives at the center of our advent kind of gets determined like this. Perspective. Right? What I see or have seen about whoever or whatever is going to provide me hope, peace, joy, and love, right? That's what I've seen. I've seen your track record. I've seen, I've seen you do this. I've seen this work for somebody else. This worked in their lives. It might work in mine, right? That informs our perception. This is what we believe about whoever or whatever is going to provide hope, peace, joy, and love. And because our perspective and our perception get locked in on whoever or whatever lives at the center of our lives, that then becomes the reality, the truth that we live in and we center our lives around. That's what this season is all about. That's what we've been unpacking. And we've been talking about this, this passage in the book of Isaiah. 
the last few weeks. And, and Isaiah is in the middle of the Bible, which is really quick flyby here. Isaiah happens about 700-ish years before Jesus is born. So seven centuries before Jesus shows up. Right? And if you want to get into the weeds and learn a little bit more about what's going on in the background of Isaiah, here's what I would just listen to last week's message or the week before. It's on the podcast. It's, it's on Facebook or YouTube. But for today, here's what I need us to hang on to, right, just because we've got to go fast. We've got a lot we're going to get through today. And this timer up here is broken, so I'll do my best to get you out of here by 1 o'clock, all right? Uh, there's nothing up here telling me stop, okay? So we are going to go fast, though, I promise. Here's what we need to know, right? So just kind of lock your brains in on this. Isaiah was a prophet, And prophets were people that were given a message from God to deliver to people, right? And so in this time, the the message that God wants Isaiah to deliver to people, the people that he was delivering that message to, they were living in constant fear that their whole world could fall apart literally at any minute. They were surrounded by a conquering and invading army, the group of people called the the Assyrians. And so like us, right, when, when... When the pressure and the stress and the chaos start to press in on our lives, what do we start to do? We start to look for anything that we could put at the center of our advent that might get us out of the mess that we find ourselves in. We need something or someone to get me out of this situation. And God's message to his people back then through Isaiah was this. This is what he wants us to hear today. It's this, real advent, which is our past confidence, present trust, and future expectations for hope, joy, peace, and love, right? It's only truly possible, real Advent is only truly possible when it's directed towards and centered around the promises of God, the person of Jesus, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the message that God was was delivering through Isaiah to people 700 years ago when everything was about to fall apart, right? They were literally waiting for everything to come crashing down at any minute. That's what he wanted them to know. Here's what real Advent is. Don't put anything in the center of your Advent that can't do what I can do. This is what real Advent looks like. And so what I I learned this week is that, that real Advent, this season... It's meant to shift our perspective. Real Advent is meant to change our perspective to see the promises that God's fulfilled in the past. And when we see the promises that God's fulfilled in the past, what that does is it recenters our perception on believing and following Jesus' example of a better way to live in our present, right? The with God life. That's what we talk about here at Adventure. And the result is this. We anticipate the reality and the truth of his future kingdom. That's what real Advent is. And that's what this season is all about. Because this is a season, let's be honest, just culturally and and just looking at our society, this is a season where our focus is on anything other than Jesus. Most of the time, our focus is on us. I mean, Christmas time is one of those years where every year the, the, the amount of money that we spend on ourselves or we spend on gifts for other people that, at the, that by this time next year are going to be broken or outdated, or in my case, won't fit, right? We spend all of that, right? We spend all of our resources in those areas and, and on those kinds of things. And so our focus is anywhere other than Jesus. And so what Advent is, is designed to do is to recenter that, to grab our perspective, to grab our perception, and shift our reality. And here's what Isaiah has to say. If you've got your Bibles open, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. That's where we're going to live today, right? We're going to live there and in Luke chapter 1, so you can kind of dog ear those pages. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, he says this, For to us a child is born... And to us a son is given. 
And right there, you can kind of think of, when you start thinking of maybe even your life right now, kind of what you're navigating, everything that's kind of happened in the build-up to this week, to the moment where you're sitting in this chair on a Sunday morning, or you're watching from home on a Sunday morning, wherever it is you may be, right? Think about that. If someone came to you in the, in the situation that you're in the middle of right now and said, hey, I know what will fix this, a baby boy. Any of us that have, like, that are parents and we've raised, or maybe are in baby mode right now, we know this, like, a baby boy, right, a baby just adds more chaos, right? Like, how is, how is that going to fix, right? How, how can that fix my life in the midst of stress, in the midst of worry, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of uncertainty, right? I'm just trying to make sure the lights stay on, the bills stay paid, and I put food on the table. You go back 700 years ago, and when the people in this time heard this from Isaiah, hey, here's God's message. Here's God's message. Everything's going to be all right. I know we're surrounded by an army of people that what they like to do is cut people's heads off and pile them up in front of cities when they conquer them. But here's what's going to fix this. A baby boy. They were like, what? Like, really? Like, we, like, we got to advent for something better than that. God, like, I, I think, could you try one more time? Like, could you try one more time? Like, let's, let's come up with a better idea. But Isaiah, he doesn't stop there, right? God's message to the people, to us doesn't stop at just a child and a son. He says this, and the government should be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And he says, of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, right, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And here's who's going to accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's passion for us will accomplish all of this. And over the past few weeks, we've been diving into this list of names that Isaiah gives to Jesus, right? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what we've, what we've learned, right, is in the ancient Near East, right, it was a part of kind of this cultural custom that when a king ascended the throne and took the throne, they were assigned something called throne names, and what these throne names did, right, they spoke to the qualities and the accomplishments of the one who was ascending the throne and becoming the king, right? So when they gave them their throne names, it was kind of intended to say, this is, this is what they've done. This is what they've done. This is what you can expect of them. This is, this is who they are, like those kinds of things. And so for us, that's what, when, when, he, when Isaiah gives these four different titles, those are actually Jesus' throne names. They're not just these nice little encouraging titles for Jesus. They don't just tell us about what Jesus is or what Jesus does. They tell us who Jesus is. It's not just that Jesus is counselor, godfather, and a prince. It goes one step further. And it tells us about his character. Jesus' throne names tell us about his character. He's not just a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. He's not just God. He's mighty God. He's not just father or provider. He's an everlasting father or provider. One that will never leave. One that will never abandon us. One that will never leave us stuck without someone to provide for us and to represent us. He's everlasting. He never bails. And he's a peaceful prince. And again, peace in the Bible, we talked about this last week, it doesn't mean absence of conflict. It doesn't mean Jesus comes in and says there's no more conflict. What it, mean, it, what it means is completeness. There's wholeness. Even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of doubt and uncertainty, we have wholeness and completeness. Why? Because Jesus sits on a throne. 
And this is where our perspective and our perception and our reality, where that equation comes into play. Because if we can only see Jesus, if you and I only see Jesus through a limited perspective, like some people back in the day did, some people right now in this moment, we see Jesus through a limited perspective. And here's what happens. Because we've got a limited perspective on Jesus, we have a limited belief of Jesus, right? Our perception is too small. What we believe about Jesus is too small because what we see of Jesus is too small. And because those things are small, we live in a reality, right, that's less than what Jesus really wants for us and what he makes possible. Our perspective, how we see Jesus, is off, right? When our Advent perspective of Jesus is off, our Advent perception of Jesus is off, and that results in our Advent reality of Jesus being off, and what we're talking about is fixing all of this, getting back on track, refocusing in on the truth. And we've been using these throne names of Jesus to reset our perspective, our perceptions, and to establish a new reality for us. And so today what I want to look at is the second name that Jesus is given, right? The second throne name, Mighty God, which in Hebrew is this, El Gabor. Which is pretty cool. One author that I read this week said that the meaning of mighty God, El Gabor, is this. El Gabor, they said, is a description of Jesus as a mighty warrior and a champion that always prevails. Never loses. That has authority over all and has immeasurable strength. And this author said that there's no more, this, this, this reality, right, of the mighty God is no more apparent than in the spaces where the mighty God Jesus collides with our human weakness. It's all about our perception and our perspective and our reality. And so we find this, this word, mighty God, we find it used all throughout Scripture. I just want to share a couple examples, right? And we see this equation kind of begin to unfold. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, this is what it says. It says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome God. That's the perspective. Right? That's the perspective. This is who God is. This is how I see God. He is great and mighty. He is El Gabor. Right? He is the champion that never loses and always prevails and has immeasurable strength. That's how I see God. Their perspective, how God is seen, is as a mighty God. And here's how it changes their, per their perception, what they believe. He's not partial. And he takes no bribe. You can't buy him off. He doesn't lean one way or the other. He doesn't play favorites. Because of the way they see God, it changes who they believe God is. And it says this, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, the journeyer, right? The one who is restless, the one who wanders, right? He loves them. He gives them food and clothing. And the re that's the reality that they live in, right? You see that, the perspective, the way they see God, mighty God. Their perception is this, he's not partial. You can't buy him off. He doesn't play favorites. And the reality that they live in is he loves and brings justice to the fatherless, the widow, and the sojourner, the outsider. That's the reality. That's the truth that they lived in. But that truth is influenced by their perspective and their perception. It goes on, Jeremiah, in, verse, in chapter 32, verses 17 and 18, he says this, Ah, Lord God, it is you that's made the heaven and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing, he says, is too difficult for you. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands. You repay the guilt of their fathers to their children after them. O oh, great and mighty God, El Gabor, whose name is Lord of hosts. Perspective, perception, reality. What I see, what I believe, the truth that I live in. Mighty God. 
Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And it's interesting. All of these are verses 17s. I don't know what that means. It's just cool, right? Just a coincidence. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior, El Gabor. He's a warrior. He's a champion. He doesn't lose. He has immeasurable strength. He will take delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That's what that looks like. Perspective, perception, reality. What I see about God, what I believe about him, equals the truth that I live in, the way I live my life. We go, yeah, that sounds good, right? All those verses, all that stuff, that's great, get you the warm fuzzies. But like, how does Jesus, like how does mighty God, El Gabor, warrior champion that never loses, right? Why should that matter to us right now in 2022? Like what possible difference could Jesus make in our lives right now with the things that we're going through? Like how does, how does all of this stuff, as good as it may be, how does that change our reality? I just want to bring this into kind of our world. Make this, make this personal this morning. As we ask that question, here's something I need you to remember, okay? That God's mightiness, his ability, is no more apparent than when it gets compared to our human weakness. Just like we talk about, like, light is most effective in dark places, God's strength is most visible when it stands next to our weakness, right? That's what we're going to celebrate here in a few weeks in Celebration Sunday. God's strength in the middle of, God did this. He did what I never could do. What I never thought possible, he did it. He pulled it off. I don't know how. Why? It's because we're weak. He's not. He's strong. We're not. So what I want us to do to kind of make this personal, flip over to Luke chapter 1. I'm just going to give you some context while you're flipping there. Like, so that we're going to read about Mary, right? Jesus is, Jesus is earth mom. At the time that we read this in Luke chapter 1, Mary would have been somewhere around 14 to 16 years old. So high school freshman to high school sophomore junior, right? And here's what she just found out. She just found out that she's going to be Jesus' mom, right? The savior of all mankind. No pressure, teen mom, but your baby boy is going to save all of humanity. But here's a problem. She's a virgin. She's engaged to Joseph, but they're not officially married yet. So, like, this kid, it's not Joseph's kid. And just culturally, right, in this time, as a young woman, like women, and I've said this before, women and children were seen more as property and less as people. They were treated more as things and not human beings. And so... Mary, being a young woman who is the right age to be married and have kids, even though she's not married and having that means that here's what that means for her. She's not seen so much as a person. She's seen as really unclaimed property. Like when you go through the airport and they've got like all the unclaimed luggage sitting around, right? That's kind of how Mary was seen. She's of the age to be married. This guy Joseph, like they're engaged, don't know what's happening. If he's just trying to work up enough money to be able to support them, he's dragging his feet, right? Like she's engaged. She should be married and having kids by now in this time, but she's not. So she's kind of unclaimed luggage. She's unclaimed baggage. Doesn't really belong to anybody. And because she wasn't married, that, mean, that meant that they, she had nobody to advocate for her. No one to provide for her. No one to make sure that she was going to be okay. She was 
in the lowest class of society. So we talk about human weakness and God's strength being compared to human weakness. It doesn't get much weaker than Mary's situation. And to add to this, adultery for a woman in this time, right, was a crime that warranted the death penalty. So if, if you had sex outside of marriage, you committed adultery, in this time it warranted the death penalty. And here's the thing, the baby bump was an obvious sign that something happened with someone and it wasn't Joseph. So when you start thinking about our equation, right, the perspective, what people saw was a pregnant, unmarried girl. That's what people saw. And that, when added to their perception, what they believed about Mary was she had done something unforgivable. She's done something unforgivable. And the reality, the truth that they lived in was, here's this crazy girl that's claiming to be pregnant with God's son. She's nuts. She's lost it. But what about Mary? What about Mary, who's now living under the weight of a destroyed reputation? An engagement that may very well be broken off. I mean, for her, at best, she's looking at this. I'm going to be a single mom to God's son with no way of providing for him because I've got no one to advocate for me. That's best case scenario. At worst, they're going to kill me. They're going to stone me to death. And so we wouldn't blame Mary knowing that. If, if her perspective, if the only thing that she could see in this moment was nothing good can come from this, this is all bad. If Mary began to complain, I don't think anyone, anyone else would go, come on, girl, buck up, right? Like if her perspective, what she saw was, hey, this is all bad. This is all bad. Nothing good's going to come from this, right? We wouldn't blame her if her perception, if what she believed was the worst outcome possible. My life is ruined. They're going to kill me. And we wouldn't blame her if her reality was to kind of accept that the whole deal was hopeless. And maybe for some of us, that sounds really familiar. Because of the situations and circumstances that we've navigated in our lives, our perspective tells us there's no good that can come from this. This is all bad. And that leads us to believe. That leads us to believe in the worst possible outcome. This is never going to get fixed. This is never going to work out. I'm never going to get better. I'm never going to be healthy. Our marriage is never going to recover. That's what leads us to believe. And what we, begin, what we begin to live in, the truth, the reality that we live in, is this is a hopeless situation. And just like married, nobody can blame us for that. No one can blame us if that's what our eyes see, what our hearts believe, and the truth that we live in. But that's not what happens. That's not what Mary chooses. Instead, what we see is that she sings a song of praise. It's called the Magnificat. It happens in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. Here's what it says. Mary said this, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty, El Gabor, my warrior, my champion that does not fail, has done great things for me. And holy is his name. He is unlike anyone else. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength, El Gabor, with his arm. 
And he's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he's exalted those of humble estate. He's done impossible things. Things that don't make sense. Things that there's no other way this could happen. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in a remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. 14 to 16 year old girl. That's what she chooses. In the midst of all of that, my reputation is ruined. Guy that's engaged to me may not see this through, and I might die. That's where she goes. And I love this because here's what she says. Mary's perspective right off the bat, what she chooses to see in the midst of everything unfolding and coming unglued around her, instead of looking at all of the chaos, what she chooses to see is God. Because she says right off the bat, my soul magnifies the Lord. And magnify means exactly what magnify means. When you and I magnify something, when we put it under a magnifying glass, what happens to it? It gets bigger. When you look at something through a magnifying glass, when you magnify something, it fills our perspectives, right? When it comes to our perspectives, here's what happens. When we magnify God, what that literally means is this. He becomes all that I can see. So for Mary, in the midst of this moment, right off the bat, where, where does she go? Her perspective, what she sees. She says, I magnify the Lord. I could look at all the ways. She said, I could look at all the ways that this thing could go sideways. I could look at all the ways. There, there are a million different ways that this could end up with me getting the death penalty. They all lead to that route. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of opportunities, and they all go to me dying. But there's one that turns out different. And all I choose to see is the Lord. Again, literally what she says is, I'm filling my perspective with El Gabor, mighty God, my champion, my warrior that does not lose. And because of that, because of her perspective, her perception, what she chooses to believe in the face of overwhelming circumstances are the promises of El Gabor, the mighty God, our warrior God, our champion. He always prevails. And what does she say? He who is mighty has done great things for me. She says he's shown strength by scattering the proud and exalting the humble. He does things that no one else can do. That's what she believes to be true. Who she sees is mighty God. She fills her perspective with mighty God. And what she believes then is he's able to do things that nobody else can do. And because Mary, she fills her perspective with God and chooses to believe that he's mighty, the reality that she lives in, her truth is this. From behold, now, now from now, all generations will call me blessed. You know who was calling her blessed in that moment? No one. In fact, if you ask an average person in this day or time, is Mary blessed? They would say, heck no, she's cursed. And because of her perspective, I see God as mighty. 
because of our perception, I believe he can do things that nobody can do. The reality that she lives in is so counter to what is real in this moment, right? To what other people may say. The reality that she lives in is so far removed from what everyone else would say is her situation and circumstance that she says this, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I see God. I believe in him. And no matter what anyone says, I'm blessed. And not just now, generations will call me blessed. I think it's worked out okay for Mary. I want to be super clear about something, though, as we wrap up today. This whole kind of perspective and perception and reality thing, right, this whole deal, it's not trying to deny what's really going on in our lives. What I'm not saying is this. Do your best to try to find a silver lining, right? What what I'm not saying to us as a church is what we need to lean into is blind optimism, right? I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying at all. This week, in fact, I learned as I kind of researched for this for for, for today, I learned a new term for, for something that oftentimes we do, especially as believers, and sometimes as a church we encourage this, right, Big C Church, sometimes we encourage this, right? We do this as believers, and sometimes in the church we go like, this is what we're supposed to do. It's called spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing is this. It's when we use spirituality to help us deny reality. Let me, let me unpack this, right? What we do is we use, we use spirituality to kind of push down how we really feel. We lose spirituality. We use spirituality to, to kind of hide what's really going on in our lives. And, and what we do as a result is we put on a happy face, right? We fake it till we make it. Because if we're honest, if I'm honest about how I really feel, if I'm honest about the current status of my life, if I'm honest about what's really going on and what I'm really dealing with, here's the assumption, right? The assumption is somebody's going to see us as too negative and they won't want to hang out with us. Or self-righteous people are going to look at us and say, well, we've got a lack of faith. If you would just believe a little bit more, maybe your life would get better. But come a little closer. If I could just punch you, right? Like, I will feel better, right? Like, we believe that that's... Maybe, maybe they'll think we don't have enough faith. Or maybe it's just that we're afraid that nobody's going to want to hear the truth about what's really happening in our lives. And so instead of being real, instead of being honest, when people ask us how we're doing, are you stressed? No, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Hashtag too blessed to be stressed, right? We say things like God's mercies are new every day. That's true. That is true. New mercies every day. Today's a new day. Yesterday was awful. Yesterday I got terrible news. Yesterday I, I got a terrible diagnosis. Yesterday something terrible happened in my family. Yesterday a friend, a friend of mine got hurt. Whatever it be. Like yesterday was terrible. So like let's just put yesterday in yesterday. Like don't let yesterday affect you today. New mercies. New mercies. Or we say things like, well, when God shuts the door, he opens a window. This one felt like it got shut in my face. Like somebody shut the window on my fingers, right? Like, this doesn't, this doesn't feel good. It's not how I feel. That's not what's really going on in my life. The person in this podcast that I listened to said this, when we spiritually bypass and push down what we're really feeling, what it does is this. It actually inhibits our need for God and our ability to worship him for who he really is and all that he can really do. 
in our lives. We think we're trying to make ourselves more spiritual. But really what we're doing is we're going, God, I got this. I got this. I got this. It inhibits our ability, our need for him. We don't get him involved as much. Why? Because we think, I can fix this. I can do this. I just need other people to believe that I'm okay. And so, like, when Morgan got up here just just a a few minutes ago and said, like, come as you are, like, we mean that. We mean that as a church at, at Adventure. You don't have to check your mess at the door in this place. You don't have to fake it until you make it. In church, as a Christian, as a believer and follower of Jesus, let me tell you this. It's okay to be not okay. You're allowed. You're allowed to be honest. In fact, being honest gets God more involved in your life. It's okay to be not okay. By admitting that we're not okay, here's what that means. It means our perspective, what we see, is honest. And when our perspective is honest, it opens us up to a truer perception what we can believe to be true about God. And when our perspective is honest and our perception is truer, it means that we can begin to live in the full reality of this. Things might be hard, but God is still good. He doesn't change. His goodness doesn't go away. Things might be difficult, but God is still good. And when you read the Magnificat, that that song that Mary sings, what we read is this. Mary doesn't spiritually bypass her situation. She doesn't deny her own weakness. She doesn't at all. In fact, she keeps saying, like, he exalts people that are humble. He looks at his his servant in, in my humble estate, right? The fact that I am like, my life is falling apart. He looks at me, and, he, and what she does in that moment, she doesn't deny any of that, but she fills her perspective with God's strength in the midst of her weakness, which the only way she could do that is by admitting her weakness. And when she does that, it shifts her perception. What she believes about who God is begins to change. He's still mighty in the midst of my circumstances, which lands her in the truth of all that God can do, even in the full reality of her situation. I'm blessed. But don't miss this, right? Her song doesn't come after Jesus' birth. Her song doesn't come after Jesus' birth. Her song, this worship song that Mary sings, it doesn't come after the fact that her reputation has been restored. It doesn't come after the fact that things shake out, right? The podcast that I listened to said this, Mary chooses to declare out loud her belief in God's vision for her future that had not yet been fully realized. She sings with confident expectation that he'll do what he said he would because he is who he says he is, a mighty God, before any of it happens. And here's what we know. Not long after this moment, about nine months later, in fact, Jesus, for Mary, became a living, breathing reminder, something she could literally hold on to that represented God's mighty ability. And he's the same for us. Jesus is who we hold on to that represents God's mighty ability to redeem and restore anything and anyone. It's good news today, church. Some of you may have walked in today and thought, I'm too far gone. Some of you may have walked in today and said, there's no hope for somebody like me. It would have been really easy for Mary to say the same thing. 
when we begin to change our perspective. We begin to see Jesus for who he really is, a mighty God, a champion, a warrior, does not fail, always prevails, always wins, immeasurable strength. Jesus becomes that living, breathing reminder, that representation that God has the ability, the mighty God has the ability to redeem and restore anything and anyone. There is no such thing as too broken. There is no such thing as too messy. There is no such thing as too far gone. But here's the truth. What you and I choose to magnify, what we choose to fill our perspectives with will shape our perceptions, what we believe in. And that will affect the truth and the reality that we live in. When Jesus is magnified in your life, when we make him all that we can see, when he is the center of our advent, It changes our perspectives, right? Everything else, how we see everything in the world and everything else in our lives, all of the sudden big problems don't seem as big. It changes our perception. What we believe to be impossible is now possible. And we begin to live in a reality where Jesus is king. But here's the deal. I need you to understand something. In the midst of everything that's gone on in your life, Jesus never for one second changed. It's not like Jesus was small and then all of a sudden grew and got big. Jesus was always big. Jesus was always mighty. He was always a champion. He was always a warrior. He was always undefeated. He was always someone who had a measurable strength. He never stopped being who he is. What changes is how we see him. We change. So what I want to do to end is, is, is this. We're going to pray here in just a minute, but, but again, kind of at the end of our services, we, we, we have the same set of invitations. And I want to, I want to invite you today, if, if, if you want to say yes to Jesus, if you've never put Jesus, the mighty God, the warrior, the champion, the undefeated, the immeasurable strength, if you've never put him at the center of your life, today you have an opportunity to do that. If you want to be a part of our church, you have the opportunity to step into this family of people that are okay being not okay. If you need someone to pray with you, I would love to do that today. But here's how I want to end. We ended a little different last week. We're going to end a little different today. Why don't you stand up on your feet? Hop up on your feet. Don't close your eyes. Leave your eyes open because you're going to have to read some things on the screen with me here in a minute. But here's what I want you to think of. In your mind right now, I want you to picture what are you magnifying? Like think of the situation. Think of your life. Everything that's gone on in the last week, months, years, whatever it may be, what currently in your life is filling your perspective? What's the biggest thing? What's taking up the majority of your field of vision? What's taking up the majority of the emotional real estate in your life? What are you magnifying? What's filling your perspective? Picture that. Think of that. Let's read this together, all right? Deuteronomy 10, 17, it says this. Let's read it together. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. God, may you be all that I see. Next question. What are you believing in? Where's your perception? 
because of your perspective, because whatever's filling your perspective, whatever you're magnifying, you believe something to be true about your situation, about your circumstances, about who God is, about who you are. You're believing something right now. You're listening to whatever that thing is trying to say to you or whatever it's trying to convince you. What are you believing? I want you to picture that. I want you to hear, even, even in your mind, the kinds of things that you believe, the kinds of things that, that whatever that, whoever that is or whatever that is, that situation or circumstance, what is that saying to you? Like Mary, it would have been easy for her to go, this is hopeless. There's no way. Because everything in her life was screaming at her. You're not blessed. You're cursed. What are you believing right now? Based on what you're magnifying, what's filling your perspective, what are you believing? What's your perception? And then over whatever that is, or pushing back against whatever that is, we're going to read this together, Jeremiah 32, 17. Lord God, it is you that have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God, may I believe that you are mighty. Based on our perspective and our perception, what truth are you currently living in? What's dictating the direction of your life? What is your reality? And maybe for you, like it is for me from time to time, sometimes our situation, our perspective, our perception, what they tell us is this is reality and it ain't changing. What we learned today is that's not true. What we learned today is that there's a mighty God who has a measurable power, who does things that nobody else can do. What truth are you currently living in? Do you want that to change? So let's read this together. Zephaniah 3.17, with his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. God May I live in your truth. We're going to worship together. And what I would say is this. Whatever's filling your perspective, declare today, God, may you be all that I see. Whatever is influencing your perception, what you believe, declare today, God, may I believe that you are mighty. And whatever truth is influencing and affecting the reality that you live in, declare today, God, may I live in your truth. I am not cursed. I am blessed because of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're so thankful for your word, and we're thankful for stories like Mary's, where everything seems lost. And we would say really easily, we go, ah, write that off, lost cause, done deal. And you say, not so fast. Watch what I can do with this. God, I pray today that we would experience the same thing, that we would experience El Gabor, mighty God, looking into our lives and going, watch what I can do. Watch what I can do with the circumstances that you feel like cannot change. Watch what I can do with the situations in your life that you feel are hopeless. Watch me. Because I am mighty, I am victorious, I am a champion, I do not lose, I do not fail, I do not break promises, I show up. God, you do not change. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Father, may our perspectives today change. May we see you differently. 
And as we fill our perspectives with the truth of who you are, may we begin to believe in you in a different way. And God, may you step in as the same way you did as a baby boy, stepped into our reality and changed everything. May you do that today. Jesus, we invite you into our reality to change it forever. We love you. Let me pray. Amen.